All right. I always like to open my eyes after praying and see how many more people are here. It's like doubles. <laughs> All right, last, uh, last week we, uh, we sort of uh, wrapped up a bit of our conversation about um, the two kingdoms that we've been discussing, uh, the redemptive kingdom or the kingdom of God and the common kingdom or the kingdom of man. And, um, and so this morning I want to um, uh, sort of work off of that and have a discussion on the role of the church in the culture. Uh, we've sort of spent our time talking about, uh, as individuals in Christ, how we interact with the culture, with the world around us, um, but now we're going to um, to talk as the church, and uh, we'll spend a lot of time on this probably over the next uh, few weeks. I think this is a very important aspect of this that uh, is kind of uh, overlooked a lot uh, in these discussions. Uh, so the first thing I want to do is uh, maybe hear from you um, what, uh, what you think is the purpose of our gathering together uh, at church on Sundays. Why are we here? What are we doing here? What do you think? To glorify the Lord? Sure. Okay. What else? Okay, good. We come together to learn from his word that we would know him? Absolutely. What else? Okay, to offer support, encouragement, edification to one another? Absolutely. What else? What's that? Yeah, being obedient, because he tells us to gather, right? Absolutely. We're obeying the Lord's command. Good. What else? Okay, good. That's a big one, to worship him, right? We come together for uh, worship. Good. Let me, let me ask it this way. What kind of analogies have you heard about going to church, comparing it to something in everyday life? Have you heard of any analogies? What, like, okay, yeah, so that's Paul's example. The church is a body. But I'm saying uh, the actual act of coming weekly, coming, gathering together as the church. Have you ever heard any analogies? Yeah. Sure, good. Okay, so yeah, we, uh, we, um, we go to a hospital, not when we're well, but when we're uh, sick, right? So um, uh, when we recognize our, our sickness, um, our need, uh, then we, uh, we come. We come to be made well. We come to be made whole. Absolutely. What else? Good or bad? What's that? Time to go to meeting. Yeah. Sunday, go to meeting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an obligation or a duty kind of uh, way of saying it, right? Have you ever heard someone say it's sort of like um, stopping at a gas station? You've never heard that? They would say church is a place where we stop to fill up our spiritual tanks um, after a tiring and stressful week to get recharged for the week. I've heard that one. My, my spiritual tank needs to be filled. Um, I've heard others compare it to something like a timeout in a basketball game. 
the church is gathering uh, the team's players so that they can regroup, uh, encourage one another, prepare to separate again and face their opponents uh, through the coming week. That's another one I've heard. There's sort of all of these kinds of things that people say about why we gather as a church. Are these effective analogies or do they fall short in understanding the church? They fall short, okay. Why? Just think of these two, a gas station or a timeout in a basketball game. Why are these falling short in explaining what we're doing as we gather? Okay, okay, good. They're focused on us, right? Those are, the, it, the sole focus is on me. I need to fill my spiritual tank. Um, I need to come and group up with the team and get the plan so that when I go out, I know what to do. Okay, good. What else, Becky? Okay, yeah. So, sh- sure, there's, uh, there's only one, uh, one stop through the week, and uh, then it just sort of dies for the rest of the week. All right, what else, Jeff? I think uh, primarily, is what uh, Steve mentioned, that it portrays going to church as a human-centered event, uh, that all of the effort is focused on, on us. Um, but w- we know, I hope, I hope we know, um, if not, don't tell me because I'll feel like a complete and utter failure. Um, <laughs> going to church is not primarily about me or even about us, but it is about God. It is about coming together to honor the Lord, uh, to bring glory to him. So we should not be coming to church, first of all, for ourselves, although that is a very important secondary effect. We come together to worship the Lord. Um, A second deficiency in these is that they place the real action of the Christian life um, somewhere other than the gathering of the people of God for the primary act of life, which is worship. If you think about it, I'm here to fill my spiritual tank. Well, that's not about worship. That's about getting some kind of something that I can tuck away and think about through the week so I'm encouraged. Uh, that's uh, motivational speaking maybe is what I want to hear or uh, that's me using verses uh, in a way to just um, to make me happy when things are hard. Um, but nobody, think of it this way, even in these analogies themselves, nobody plays basketball so that they can take a timeout. Uh, even though the last five minutes of a game might seem otherwise. <laughs> but fans don't attend games for the timeouts. I don't go to basketball games so uh, that I can watch them uh, take a 30-second timeout. I'm there to, uh, to see plays executed well, to watch good passes and dunks, and hopefully watch the team you're cheering for win. Your concern is the overall score in the end and how well they played. Um, people don't go on road trips so that they can stop at the gas stations. Uh, that's not the goal of the road trip, to see how many gas stations you can go to and how much fun you have at each one of them. Um, we go on road trips and enjoy the scenery and arrive at our destination because we're headed somewhere. Um, so timeouts and gas stations are a means to an end. 
But we can't talk about the church as a means to an end. Um, they, uh, these, things, these things exist uh, necessarily. We have to do them if we're engaged in those things. Um, but they don't work as analogies for the church because the life and the ministry of the church are not a means to an end. They do not exist to recharge our batteries. They don't give us a strategy for the week ahead. The church's worship and fellowship are an end in themselves. And that's a really important thing for us to remember. Nothing, and this may be the most significant, important thing that I'll say today, all day. Nothing that we do in this world is more important than participating in our worship and fellowship as the church. Participation in the life of the church and not participation in our cultural activities in the broader world are central to the Christian life. I'll say it this way. What we do when we come together as the people of God on the Lord's Day is the most important thing you will ever do in your life, no matter what else you have going on in your life, no matter who you are. You can be the president of the world. The most significant thing you will do each week as the president of the world is to go and worship the Lord with his people on the Lord's Day. Nothing else compares. Why is that? And that's what I want to get to uh, this morning. In light of the discussion we've had the last few weeks with regard to our citizenship in the kingdom, the redemptive kingdom of God, and as people in the lesser kingdom, or the kingdom of man, or the common kingdom. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, did you guys hear what Melissa was asking? She said that if the end is communion with God, that's really the end of all that we do, then are these not a means to that? I think they're part and parcel with it. I would say it's all together. Um, that our, our worship is, um, is our communion with God. I have communion with God because I am worshiping. It's part of my worship of God. Um, so I would, uh, uh, so yeah, maybe it is semantics, but I, I think um, I can't have communion with him without worshiping him. Um, and as I worship him, I have communion with him. So it's sort of a both and sort of thing and not, not uh, one uh, lending to the other. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> um, I just, and I say that because I think to, to separate them in that way is, uh, is maybe going to lead us down another path we don't want to go. Um, but it's a good, it's a good question, distinction, yeah. Right, yeah, and we'll talk about that, sure, sure. And these are, and there's a distinction between those because these are individual elements that are a means of grace versus the act itself, the bigger act, the bigger picture of worship, which is communing with God. Maybe that's helpful, that's good. And we'll, we'll uh, get to the means of grace here in a little bit. Um, so... We've, we've talked about these kingdoms that we have citizenship in. 
this redemptive kingdom that is, uh, has been inaugurated by Christ and his coming, uh, that will be fully consummated in his return. So we live in this time between his already having come and his not yet fulfilling the kingdom uh, in its whole. Um, and we live as citizens of the kingdom of man, the common kingdom. We are citizens here of our community, of this uh, the civic community. And we have responsibilities um, owing to it, as uh, Jesus himself points us to. But the church is the only earthly institution that can identify itself with the redemptive kingdom. No other institution on the earth exists that can find its identity in the redemptive kingdom. So to have fellowship with the church is to have fellowship with the kingdom of heaven that Jesus proclaimed that Jesus brought. The Christian life is in heaven and is hidden with Christ in God. That's what Colossians 3 says. And the Christian's true citizenship, our primary citizenship, is in heaven from where Christ will return again, Philippians 3. So, if our life in the world to come the new heavens and the new earth, if, uh, if that's what defines who we really are, um, then the earthly community of the church is what opens the gates to that kingdom and it bestows fellowship upon us and it gives us um, a, a place to come and to dwell and to commune and to fellowship and to rest uh, in ways that no other institution can provide. Others will try. Others will make attempts at providing the same sort of thing, uh, but nothing will come close to meeting the demands on the church that the Lord places because this is the gathering of God's people to enjoy the redemptive kingdom. So even the institution of the family, the state, a school, a workplace, all of these are honorable, necessary, important communities to be a part of. Uh, we should strive to participate in them in ways worthy of our calling as Christians, as we've discussed over the last few weeks. Um, however, none of them are the kingdom of heaven on earth. Only the church can make that claim. And I'm not just saying church as individuals. I'm saying the church gathered corporately. As we gather corporately as the church, we can make that claim. The church ought to be central to the Christian life because the church is the only earthly community that manifests the redemptive kingdom and grants us true fellowship with our true home in the world to come. So let me pause there and make sure that makes sense to everybody. Any thoughts on that? Okay. <laughs> our gathering corporately as the church is our coming together to enjoy that which only the church can provide. And that is participation in the redemptive kingdom. Participation in uh, life, it's a foretaste of the life that is to come in the new heavens and the new earth. So, 
a good picture maybe to think of is when we come together on the Lord's Day for corporate worship, we're, uh, we're, we're going through the back of the wardrobe into Narnia. We're entering into a different world uh, all together. We're, we're coming together to experience something other than what's going on in the world around us um, because we are participating in a completely different kingdom altogether. And that may... Uh, and hopefully as we talk about this more, you'll see this to be more and more specific in terms of how it applies in our own lives. But I'll, I'll just give you a very... Um, kind of practical and it may seem insignificant example, but um, I think it's an important one. Uh, one of the reasons why we don't, um, and you see this a lot, and I'm not bashing any church that does this, but this is just a reason why we don't do this. One of the reasons why we don't have an American flag on display in our place where we worship, because of this. We're not coming here to participate in the kingdom of the world. We're coming here to participate in the redemptive kingdom. We're coming together as God's people to participate in worshiping the Lord and participating in our citizenship of a different kingdom here. Um, So this gathering, the corporate people of God here and now, is not where we come to talk about our citizenship uh, in terms of honoring it here on earth. Now, there may be a time and a place for that, and that's up for discussion, but, um, but that's not here. This is where we come to, uh, to commune with God uh, in another kingdom altogether. So, let me say it this way. You have no more important membership in this world than your membership in the church. You have no more important relationships in this world than your relationships in the church. You have nothing more valuable in this world than your connection to the church. You have nothing more important to do with your time than to worship with the church. You have nothing whatsoever that you can tend to do in this world that would rise to the significance of living and serving and worshiping as a member of the church. And so uh, I'm not saying all of that to uh, pull you in and start a cult. I'm <laughs> saying all that to say that this is exactly the picture that the Lord gives us of what he wants his church to be. Because uh, this is his bride. This is the place where he meets with us most um, Uh, Most surely, so long as we are worshiping him in the way that he desires to be worshiped, the Lord has promised us that he will meet with his people in a special way as we gather as his church. And we see it throughout the New Testament. Um, I think a great example of the church understanding this is in Acts chapter 2. All the church is coming together, uh, and they're not, They're meeting together on the Lord's Day, absolutely. That's indicated several times throughout the New Testament. Uh, But also, those relationships that they have with the people in the church are continuing on day by day and home to home. And so that's another aspect of the life of the church that needs to be um, understood. 
So we could come together as God's people on the Lord's Day, meet together and worship and fulfill a lot of this, but we couldn't fulfill all of it because one of the primary objectives in coming together is that we are edifying the body of Christ, that everyone is coming with this objective in mind that I'm going to be edifying the body of Christ. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts in a way that are going to build up and encourage and help the people of God. And if I don't have that mindset as I come together on the Lord's Day, then I'm not doing everything I need to be doing as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But I can't do that unless I know something of my brothers and sisters. And I know them because I'm spending time with them. I'm talking to them. I'm checking on them. I'm uh, meeting with them regularly. Um, And so these things, again, come together in terms of importance. Charlie? Charlie? Yeah. Amen, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. It is our privilege to not only gather with God's people, but to meet with God himself and uh, to be able to do that every single week. And in our circumstances, because of the common kingdom that we live in, uh, we get to do that freely without fear of um, persecution and, and all that for the time being anyway. Um, We're not having to find secret places to gather quietly uh, that we not be um, persecuted for our gathering. So we can thank God for that, and I am thankful for that. Um, I think a picture that may be helpful for you to have in mind is that of the world. You think of the world and all of its fallenness and brokenness and suffering and pain and hurt and destruction. Um... And all of these things that are in the world pollute the world. And you can kind of think of a picture of a, of, a, um, of a dump. It's a place where trash is dumped, it's burned away, and it's just this nasty, gross place. But right in the middle of that is this outpost. And when you go to that outpost and you enter into the doors of that outpost, you're gathering... Um, with the people of heaven. And so, when we come together, we can close out all of this nasty destruction around us and come and meet with the people of heaven, the citizens of heaven. And very quickly after that, we're going to have to go right back out into it. However, for this time, I'm meeting with God's people with the citizens of the heavenly kingdom, and with the king himself. And so nothing else around me matters. And I think the people who see this most significantly are those that look at all that goes on in their life and they would say, nothing in this world interferes with my being able to come together with God's people to worship the king and to meet with the king. And there are great examples of that throughout the history of the church. Um, Now, the church itself is still not perfect. It still has flaws. There are things that need to be fixed. But it is a foretaste of that which is to come. What does the Bible tell us we will be doing with our time in the new heavens and the new earth? Gary said it. Say it loud. Worshiping. That's right. We're going to be worshiping. 
And so we get to get a piece of that, a part of that, when we gather together on the Lord's Day. The very thing we will be doing, gathering with every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Before the throne of Christ, we will worship. Now, I believe we will do other things. I think we will still be working and creating and all of these things, but we will gather with God's people to worship. And so the church is the only outpost of the redemptive kingdom that exists in the world. I want us to look at some specific elements of that, and this is what we're going to spend time on over the next couple of weeks at least. Um, What does it look like to be an outpost of heaven? What does it look like to be... um, living as members of the redemptive kingdom, coming together to worship the king uh, in the midst of a broken, fallen, jaded world. Um, So let's look at some specific elements of that. The first thing is what we've mentioned already is worship. Now, what do Christians often assume worship is? Let's start there. What is worship? Um, And just in general, what do people say? Not, I'm not going to hold against you whatever you say. Just what, what do people say about worship? What is it? Okay, the musical portion. I, uh, I've heard, um, I really enjoy the praise and worship time. Um, so you mean the entire gathering? <laughs> uh, no, the, the discussion is uh, generally focused on the singing and the music, right? Good. What else? Good. Sure. So if I don't have some kind of stirring emotional reaction to what goes on, then I didn't truly worship, right? That's the idea. Um, that it, it has to be some kind of emotional reaction or response. That's, that's an idea that people have about worship. Good. What else? You can give the right answer too. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Enjoying, participating with, um, communing with, having fellowship with God. That's worship. I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, I will say this. As far as the church is concerned, worship is the church's primary responsibility. Far and above everything else the church can do. It's not on a different page than the rest of the stuff the church can do. It's in a different book altogether in terms of importance. It is the most important thing the church can do far and away. Uh, The church ought to be central in the Christian life because the church, again, is the only community on this earth that renders worship to God as a whole. So fulfilling in that the purpose that God has designed us for. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I agree with that, um, uh, with that catechism question. And so if we are to do that, uh, we do that in different ways. We do that individually. We do that in our families. Uh, but most importantly, we do that with the people of God corporately. Um, Now, there's a lot of things about the new heavens and the new earth that are a mystery to us. We get sort of small glimpses, we get small pictures, um, but we really don't know all it's going to be like. But what we do know without any 
shadow of a doubt, is that the world to come will be a place saturated with worship, as we just talked about. Um, And I just want to show you that in uh, Revelation 15. This is John having a picture, a revelation, a, uh, a vision of what is happening in heaven. And the new heavens and the new earth uh, will uh, be just like this. Someone can read for us verses 1 through 4 of Revelation 15. Thank you. So we get this picture. Heaven is this time. We see this singing of worship onto the Lord. There's a constant singing. Anytime you see in the Bible a time when someone comes before the Lord um, in the heavenly courts, if you will, there's, uh, there's mention of singing um, and adoration. Uh, you see the same thing in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah comes before the Lord in his glory. Uh, the seraphim are are singing and worshiping God. Um, and so this is a picture that we get of what happens in heaven. And since our fellowship with the life of heaven is central to the Christian life, and since heaven is the realm of worship above all else because it happens without imperfection, then our present day worship must be central to our Christian lives. We're seeking to replicate that, what we see in the Bible. And this points us to the church. Um, Now, this claim that the church is uh, primarily a community of worship can be misunderstood. Some people today and I understand why they say it, but some will say that all of life should be worshiped to God. And, and that is true, that God calls us to glorify him in all that we do. There is, um, there's no denying that. That is absolutely true. He is pleased when we undertake that effort, uh, when we are having family worship, uh, when we are having individual worship, reading the scriptures, praying, singing unto the Lord. Um, <clears throat> But Scripture speaks of a special activity that is more um, properly, I guess we can say, deemed worship. All of these things are worshipful. All of these things help our communion with God, and they are necessary to the Christian life. However, when we speak of worship, the Bible itself speaks more properly of something uh, that happens as we gather together. And it happens uh, essentially in God's speaking to us through the reading and preaching of his word and through um, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And in his people speaking back to him. And how is it that we speak back to him? Through prayer and through song. So... This kind of worship is an activity that happens um, as an activity of the redemptive kingdom alone. So when we do these things uh, in our families, for example, um, we have elements of these, but we don't have all of this. Or when we do them uh, individually, there are parts of this, but not all of it. When we come together corporately is when all of it comes together, when it is all present in all the forms and ways that the Lord uh, calls us to.
So you may gather with your family and have a lesson from the scriptures and sing song together and pray together, um, but we are still missing elements of that. Um, we are not edifying the rest of the body because the rest of the body is not present. We're not participating in the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're not uh, baptizing someone in the family. Uh, these things aren't happening in those venues because those are properly given over to the church uh, to administer. Um, so believers share a variety of cultural activities with unbelievers in the condom kingdom. But worship is not one of them. This is something that only the church does and only the church is a part of in fullness. So we, we hopefully always have unbelievers in our midst because we want them to be exposed to seeing the people of God worshiping. But there are still parts of worship that they're not participating in even though they're right in the midst of it. What, are some, what do I mean by that? Any thoughts on that? How is it that an unbeliever would come to be in the midst of the worship of God among his people and still not be uh, really a part of it? Okay, so their hearts are unengaged completely. That's part of it, sure, on an individual level. But what are things we do in worship that unbelievers are not invited to? Communion, right? That's a big one, right? And we're very, we try to be very explicit about that, right? If you're not a part of this redemptive kingdom, then this is, not, this is a meal from heaven is kind of the idea. This is the meal that we partake uh, as members of this kingdom, as those united to Christ. And so it's only for those united to Christ. Go ahead, Lee. Sure. Yeah, and that, I mean, across the board... Um, obviously, the primary issue here is the heart, right? Because even among um, the Israelites were doing things before God that he had commanded. And yet, he said, um, your offerings are a stench to me. Stop doing them. Why? Why was, why was it that they could go and offer incense to the Lord and he said, stop doing that, even though he commanded them to do it? What was the concern? Yeah, all the reasons for doing them were wrong. Their focus was on the external practice of just doing these things. God told us to do it. We want to be blessed by God, so we're going to do it. But our hearts are completely unengaged. They have nothing to do with the worship. Um, So even in that sense, God's people can gather, but when our hearts are unprepared, when we come just sort of uh, thinking of this as just another Uh, stop along the way. This is our uh, stop at the gas station to fill up or our time out in the basketball game. Uh, Then my heart's going to be rather unengaged. Um, Have you ever seen the players stand around during a timeout? The coach is talking and very serious about what he has to say, but what are most of the players doing? (laughs) Like the guy standing over here can hear the coach over there with the band playing and all of the all of the people yelling. Probably not. He's rather unengaged, right? And that's the, that's the mentality. That if this is just sort of a stop off, a place that we go to get recharged and refueled and then we head back out, uh, then we're generally going to be rather unengaged because it has no connectiveness to the rest of our lives. So instead of um, 
Well, let me think of it this way. Regardless of what you think about whoever it is at the time, if you were invited to go to meet the president at the White House, you would probably put some preparation into that. You would go uh, with a certain sense of um, needing to be prepared uh, in, your, uh, in the way that you um, appear physically, in your dress and the things that you uh, are going to say, you'd be thinking about that. Um, And we put some preparation into that. You have to travel, you have to work out all the other plans to make sure you can go and do that and things are covered at work and things are covered around the home and this may be a few days away so I'm going to prepare for that. Um, We would put the effort in. We should be thinking about that every single week as we come to meet not the president, that's far too small. We're coming to meet the king of kings and the Lord of lords with his people. So all the efforts that we would put into something else should be poured into our efforts to come together to meet with the people of God that we're going to see and worship uh, the king of kings. Um, It's not just this stop off. It is uh, this important thing that we do uh, together and uh, that we cannot do in any other form. Um, well, with this, let me make this point maybe with uh, thinking about two of the covenants in the Bible. Who is the Noahic covenant with in Genesis chapter 9? Okay, Noah is the head, the federal head of that covenant. He's the one that God communicated it to. But he promised something in the Noahic covenant that involves who? The rest of mankind, right? And the promise was that I will never flood the earth again. So that involves every man, woman, and child. That we will not be destroyed by flood, uh, by the hand of God, on, uh, in terms of the whole earth. That doesn't mean one community won't be destroyed by flood, but in terms of the whole earth. So this is where we get our idea of common grace, that God is gracious in some sense to all men everywhere. Um, Does the Noahic covenant come with any kind of command to worship? If you can think about what you know about the Noahic covenant, is there any part of it that commands worship? The answer is no. God makes this covenant with Noah and tells him, here's what I will do, here's how it will be fulfilled, and that's it. There is no command tied to the Noahic covenant to worship. Now, Noah did worship. He did build an altar and worship, but that was not a part of the covenant command. Now, let's compare that to God's covenant with Abraham. That's with Abraham as the head, but who is a part of the Abrahamic covenant? What's that? Okay, yes, all the nations of the earth, but who among the nations of the earth? Loudly, I can't hear you guys. Okay. Uh, Initially with Israel, yeah, and Israel as a nation, of course, physical, spiritual Israel, and then from there we see um, the spiritual people of Israel uh, as the church. What are the commands of the Abrahamic covenant? 
What is God commanding the people uh, to do within that covenant? I'm not expecting you to know all the answers to this. Um, Abraham was distinguished and the people of his posterity were distinguished from the world by, first and foremost, the sacramental act of the circumcision of males um, and his building of altars to the Lord. All of these are acts of worship. God distinguished his people from the world when he gave them prophets and priests to minister to, uh, to each other and to give the temple and to give the sacrificial system for their acts of worship. All of these are things tied to the worship of God which are tied to this covenant he made with these people. Um, in the exile, Daniel and his friends were distinguished from the Babylonians by refusing to join in their pagan worship. They were going to worship the one true God alone. Uh, in the New Testament, as present-day sojourners, uh, we are distinct from the world. We've been made a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God and to proclaim his excellencies uh, to those who are in the darkness and calling them to come into the light. Um, And so the point of this is that God has covenanted with all people on the earth. But in that covenant, he has simply made a promise. I will not destroy you in this manner. But he has made special covenants with his people in which he commands something of us. And that is that we would worship him. And not just how we want, but in the ways that he has prescribed. And we'll get more into that as we move forward. So there is a distinctiveness about what we do uh, because it is, um, it is what God has commanded of a special people, those who are his people, his children, his sons and daughters, and those who are members of the redemptive kingdom. So let me uh, just stop there and get any thoughts or questions that any of this has brought up. Anything at all? All right, well, we'll, um, we will pick up there next week. We'll continue to talk about worship, but we're going to look at other elements as well. Um, other elements of what it is to be the church, um, a, a heavenly outpost, an outpost of the redemptive kingdom in the midst of the common kingdom. And I hope uh, this morning, just in, in way of application for us, as we gather for worship, from the call to worship to the final word of benediction, that we are thinking about that, that we have that in mind, that in this time, and that's why I pray this in the pastoral prayer, that in this time, the things that go on in this world don't matter right now. What matters most importantly is that I am coming before the King of Kings that has all of the world in his hands and is sovereign over all and is doing all according to his own will uh, to his glory and to our good. And that's what we're coming to think about and to worship him for and to be pleased and delighted in. And that's where our joy and satisfaction comes in him in our worship. So I hope we'll be thinking about that this morning as we are singing and praying and hearing his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time uh, that we can um, consider your word and uh, consider all the more specifically the things that we are called to do as your church. Uh, to, uh, To be challenged and reminded of the importance of the church. 
to, uh, to be brought to consider whether or not uh, we ourselves uh, value the church in the way that you do, uh, and specifically uh, the worship uh, that the church uh, joins together in as we seek to bring you glory and to do good uh, to one another and to be, um, to be given all that you have given us in your word, that we would do good uh, also to our neighbor, that they too could be members of the redemptive kingdom. Uh, so Lord, we pray now as we prepare ourselves for worship, that our hearts would be set on you, uh, that we would seek to find our joy and satisfaction in you and that we can put all the cares and concerns of the world around us uh, to the side. Uh, They will be visited again later, but in this time we want to commune with you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.